come to uh, the last of our uh, psalms that we'll study uh, this summer. Uh, we're considering maybe to return to this, uh, this section next summer as well. Um, it seems to have benefited a lot of people, and certainly it's a joy to preach from the psalms as well. Psalm 119, on page 512, if you want to refer to your pew Bible, <clears throat> by far the longest psalm. I'm only going to spend about one minute on each verse, so it should just be three hours. (laughs) Any longer, and it might be tedious. (laughs) Uh, I did uh, about a three-page paper uh, that's in the back. If you want to delve further into uh, Psalm 119, it talks some about the structure. It traces some themes through, um, things like that that you might find helpful if you'd like to jump into Psalm 119. Uh, Those of you who've been through the new members class may remember part of that class is devoted to how to study the word. And part of that little paper has Psalm 119 as a little tool to begin your devotion every day. Uh, You could even take a couple of verses, not even eight, uh, a section of eight, but just a couple of verses Because uh, every part of this psalm helps us to know how to approach God's Word. So it can be a constant training ground for you throughout your whole life. What do I do with this Word before you even come to the Word, right? So this morning, we're just going to read a couple of the sections, uh, beginning with verse 9, and we'll read through verse 24. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Uh, There's more about this in the paper, but he uses eight synonyms for God's word in this uh, psalm. And he uses them. It looks like the count is 177 times in 176 verses, right? There are a few verses that don't have them. Some of them have 
two of them. But it shows how carefully he uh, employs these words and, and sprays them out so that uh, the most anyone is used is 25 times and the least is 19. Most of them are 21, 22, 23. So it, it, obviously he had them before him and he just employed them, not in any particular order, but very carefully giving this great variety of description of God's word. <clears throat> well, let us pray. Father, we ask you to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So you can say that Psalm 119 is the word of God on the word of God. It's God's word on what to do with God's word. This is the manual for scripture, the handbook for dealing with the Bible. This is the Bible for dummies. Not that you're dummies. I'm just saying it is that kind of book for us. Uh, Bishop Cooper calls it a holy alphabet. So plain that children may understand it. So rich and instructive that the wisest and most experienced may every day learn something from it. So, children, this is a place for you to go, even for you to begin to understand the word and how to think about God's word. Philip Henry, Matthew Henry's father, instructed his children that they should read a verse of 119 every morning and then they would get through it two times a year. And he said, if you do this, it will bring you to be in love with all the rest of Scripture. That would be quite an accomplishment for us, wouldn't it? That it would bring us in love with all of the Scripture. And several have talked about the vital role it has played in their lives. A pastor Dr. Venn said, this is the song I've often had recourse to when I could find no spirit of prayer in my own heart. And at length, the fire was kindled and I could pray. Henry Martin, the great missionary to India, uh, went there at age 25. He was a linguist and he translated the New Testament into Urdu and Persia in the six short years he was there before he died. And he wrote about Psalm 119. In the evening, I grew better by reading Psalm 119, which generally brings me into a spiritual frame of mind. Another time, my mind was beginning to sink into discontent at my unprofitableness. But my reading some of Psalm 119 in prayer, I recovered. Again, I was in a fretful frame. It was not until I learned some of Psalm 119 that I could return to a proper spirit. So what a powerful effect of bringing the people of God into love with the whole of the word of God and restoring them in such a wonderful way when they are struggling in life. So it's really not a dry one, two, three manual. In fact... All but verses 1, 2, and 115 are prayers, okay? Are prayers about God's word. 
We're admitted into the prayer room of this saint as he pours his heart out regarding God's word. This is blood, sweat, and tears concerning the word of God. This is real life. This begins as a wisdom psalm. Blessed are they. That's how wisdom psalm begins. This is an instruction on life. But you end up finding cries of lament scattered throughout the psalm even. This psalm houses passion and suffering and joy and weakness and clinging faith. It's all about his relationship to God. He's in constant interaction with God over the word of God. And brothers and sisters, this is our model for what we should be about as the people of God. Having this kind of passion and concern and longing for the word of God because we have that kind of passion for God himself. And this is the expression of God's goodness And glory in the word. So we are invited to be like this man. We are called to enter into his life with the word. His attitude to the word. Into his struggle of longing for the word. And living out the word. Another commentator Westerman Westerman says. If a person succeeds in reading all 176 verses. One after another, in one setting, the effect is overwhelming. In its extent, the psalm has the effect of a massive mountain range. When you've been to the Rockies, you can just picture that and think, okay, that's the Psalm 119 is the Rockies. And I want to enter into those Rockies and see the beautiful things there. So, it's so gigantic, we're just going to state a few uh, themes, a few individual uh, verses, and try to give you a little taste of it. First, it's this, this alphabet thing. You can see in your text how each of the eight verses is headed by a Hebrew letter. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, He, Vav, uh, uh, Zion, etc. So these these show that those eight verses, each of them be, is begun with the letter A. It's a way to say, let's say everything we can from A to Z about God's word. Okay, it, it's a poetic way to say these letters represent the whole of language. Let's employ all our words, all we can think, all we are in service of this admiration of God's word. I like the way Kidner puts it. He says, each letter has its turn, right, to introduce uh, eight verses. Uh, Kids, what if you were chosen with 22 other kids to present a tremendous gift that the United States was making to the Queen of England? Queen of England visits, and then in this grand hall, each of 22 children are brought in to lay before the queen a gift. And each one of you has a precious jewel that you're presenting to the queen. That'd be pretty cool, right? Cameras are rolling, everybody. And here you walk up with this precious sapphire and put it before the queen. 
We see each of these letters introduces eight jewels of God's word. Each of these letters has that privilege, you might say, of bringing to us the word of God. Now, I'm going to put this book down here because it's a pretty cool book and it's kind of framed like that. I'm especially speaking to the kids here. Uh, This is one of our favorite books and one of our children's favorite books. Um, It's a little old, so kids, please look at it, but just, just be careful with it, okay? So each letter, though, introduces four animals. Here's how it goes. A, alligator, beetle, porcupine, whale. B, bobolink, panther, dragonfly, snail. C, crocodile, monkey, buffalo, hare. D, dromedary, leopard, mud turtle, bear. Ah, yeah, you're into it. Okay. (laughs) E, elephant, badger, pelican, ox, fly, elf, flying fish, reindeer, anaconda, fox. Thank you. Very good. One more. We could go on. We would rather do that probably than anything else. G, guinea pig, dolphin, antelope, goose, hummingbird, weasel, pickerel, moose. Thank you, kids. Very good. Now, kangaroo might be a little harder, cockatoo, etc. But you get the idea. Each letter begins a whole series of names. That's what this psalm is, you see. It's beautiful like that. If you could read it in the Hebrew, it would have that beauty of how does he... How does he work it so that that letter begins every uh, single uh, verse? So that's the structure of the psalm. And uh, these synonyms, these 177 uh, mentions of the word of God are like bells that just keep chiming. Different eight different bells that keep chiming the whole time about the word of God. Now, here I think is one critical question. How can I expect to really be like this psalmist? There's so much of this psalm that can just make you think, for instance, like verse 20. Yeah, right. Like I can be consumed with his uh, longing after his word at all times. Give me a break. Right? It just seems so far from our experience. Or this other one in verse 60. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Yeah, that's, that's what I always do. I hasten and do not delay. Now, imagine here you are about to set off walking to try to catch up with this Porsche Cayenne diesel that's 50 yards away. He takes off. You start walking. In a few minutes, you know, you're, he's miles ahead of you. An hour, he's 70 miles ahead of you. In nine hours, he's 600 miles ahead of you. And you've maybe made 36 miles if you're really, really strong. And you're about to fall down for 24 hours and he's fueling up and he's going on. That's how we can feel sometimes. The word just seems so far from us. It seems almost sometimes it just gets further. The more I study it, the further it gets away from me. The more I realize how detailed it is and and how holy God calls me to be, it just seems to leave me. 
That's how we can feel with Psalm 119 when it's particularly dealing with the word of God. We can never match his passion for the word or his joy over the word or his commitment to the word. But here, the New Testament, the whole Bible brings us good news. It's not just be like this man, but in the setting of the New Testament salvation, God says, by my power in salvation, you can be more and more like this man. You can adopt and have these attitudes more and more. In fact, you will more and more conform to this man. And so, brothers and sisters, we must read Psalm 119 as a kind of description of your future. It's a, it's a laying out of your destiny in Christ. This becomes a kind of detail of your salvation. What God's salvation enables you to do. Not something that you just get more and more frustrated over. More and more uh, feel like you'll get nowhere. So Psalm 119 We'll talk about this a little more at the end, but it presents to you where you can go in Christ, where you are going in Christ. Even in this psalm itself, notice in verse 32, I will run in your, the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. As you enlarge my heart, as you renew me, enable me, then I will run in the way of it. And I love the word run. It's dynamic. It's energetic. You're really getting somewhere when you're running in that commandment. But this happens because he enlarges our heart to do it. And that sounds so much like the new covenant in which he says, I will put my law in your heart. And that means that you will want to obey the word from the inside out. It will not just be an external word to you, but it will begin to grip you and own you. It it will become precious to you. It will not just be an external thing, but you will want, you will have a new sincerity in wanting to obey it, even in your thoughts, even in your words when no one's looking. I'm going to put it in your heart. Those are the kinds of promises that we need to bring to bear in uh, on Psalm 119. So that first word, just the, uh, the question of how can I approach what this psalmist says? But by God's grace, you surely will uh, more and more approach what is said here. Then we, we definitely have to talk about happiness because that's where the psalm begins. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And you can translate that, oh, the happiness of those who do this. Now, this is a real challenge to you and me. Do you believe this? Do you, do I believe this? Do you believe your happiness is bound up in this word? 
we already dealt with the word that from Deuteronomy 32:47 this is not an idle word for you it is your life I, when i think of that verse 32:47 Deuteronomy I always think of someone who has to have insulin every day or even me i have to have at least until i lose weight blood pressure medicine every day or i might die of a stroke that's not an option for me insulin's not an option for a diabetic it's your life if your kidneys fail dialysis is not an option it is your life. That's what the uh, writer, what Moses is saying. That's what he's saying here. Your happiness is bound up in this word. And so for all of us, one of the prayers must be, Lord, make me believe that this is my happiness. How can we believe it's our happiness and we largely neglect it? And so, you notice also here, there is no seeking him unless we keep his word. Verse 2, who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. We like to kind of think, okay, studying God's word, reading his word, memorizing his word, meditating on his word, trying to do that a lot during the week. That's one thing, but I seek God in my own way. I don't have to have the word to seek God. No, no. You seek him with your whole heart when you know and keep his commandments. That's the only means by which we begin to seek him and continue to seek him. We can't say, I'm seeking you, God, but it's on my own terms. You just have to get used to that. I will ignore your authority and kingship. I will trash that because I'm not going to get into your word and learn it and hear it and consider it. But I will tell myself that you and I are okay and that you'll take me as I am. Those are the kind of games we like to play with God. But this passage is clear. To seek him cannot be done apart from seeking his word. And that is our happiness that we know and live out this word, this precious word. Notice in verse 18. So happiness, verse 18, eyes to see, right? How important is this? I love this passage because... It says, open my eyes that I may Elmer Fudd. I mean, uh, uh, that would be Porky Pig. Yeah. <laughs> um, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The idea, of course, is wondrous things are there. Do I see them? Am I seeing them? And the recognition that, Lord, you must open my eyes so that I do see them. It recognizes that by nature I'm blind. Things are cloudy, dull, unimpressive. I'll just shrug my shoulders. I'll be bored. Your word will be uninteresting to me. I can't see what's right before me. 
like a blind person in front of a sunset who cannot see it. Open my eyes that I can see it. Like someone before a great Rembrandt and just saying, it's just a picture of a man and a woman. I've seen that before. Like, you don't see it. You don't see the beauty here, the majesty of what Rembrandt has accomplished. And it's not just a physical incapacity. My problem is I don't want the word by nature. I want something other than the word. My blindness is my bit in self that refuses the beauties of God in the word. I have to realize I'm sick because I don't care about it. Lord, open my eyes. Give me a heart for it. Give me a relish for that word. Change me from within. Repair my brokenness that ignores your word. Repair my brokenness that's unaffected by your word. That finds it unattractive and even distasteful. Oh Lord, open my eyes. Well... You can see other wonderful features in this psalmist. His carefulness. How in verse 59 he says, I, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. In the next verse, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. In Psalm 101 he says, I hold back my feet from every way in order to keep your word. But again, pray, Lord, enable me. That I will think on my ways and I will turn them to conform to your words. That, that I will hasten, that this will mark me, O Lord. I love his, his carefulness and his passion. In, some, in verse 62, he says, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your rules. And I'm just thinking, what? He wakes up in the middle of the night when everything's quiet. So that he can just praise God for his word? Or he says in verse 148, My eyes are awake before the watches to meditate on your promise. Or 164, seven times a day I praise you for your rules. He says it's as sweet as honey, as precious like gold. He says in another verse, 131, I pant after it. Or I'm crushed with longing. Or I rejoice and it's in all riches. So here's some of those passages where you can begin to say, Oh Lord, you gave him this heart. He didn't come, he didn't have this heart by nature. He wasn't born with this. This is a result of God's salvation in his life. You see? It's a result of God's rescue of him. Granting him these things. And he can and will do the same for us. To cause us to have this kind of passion. Well, one more thing. And then to close this out. This, the word, the, the word as a whole does this. But this, this section talks about this some. Of how the word will enable you to see your sin. How it will enable you to recognize sin. (laughs) This passage and then 
the way it brings us to all the Word of God. The Word searches you, right? It kind of frisks your soul. It bores holes into the walls and floors and ceilings to test for sinful asbestos. The Word does this as it looks for sin, you see. The Word uh, searches it out. It dusts for the fingerprints of even your motives and your attitudes. It will pull the contents of your soul out like a drawer and just lay them out before you. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. But that's how you and I begin to change when we see ourselves in the light of this word. And then it makes us sensitive to it. In 104, he says, from your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Maybe we don't hate false ways enough or at all because we are not immersed in his word. And so like a speck of grain, and I know this because it's happened to me many, many times, that gets under your contact lens so you begin to be that sensitive more and more to sin, to thoughts and to words and to motives of sin. We, de- we develop this kind of allergy to sin where our whole system reacts to it. That's what the word will do for us by God's grace. But it not only causes us to recognize it, it enables us to resist it. As we read, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so the word gives you hope. It gives you encouragement of the salvation of Christ. It gives you resolve and backbone. It puts fight in your heart. It gives you strength, as, this, as another verse says, that you might live out his word. And, you know, sad to say, a lot of us, and I've done this more times than I, I, I'm ashamed of it. We go into our daily spiritual battle in our long johns, right? We're going up against an enemy well-armed, an enemy with Uh, amazing weapons and we're going in empty handed and we think there's really not a battle I love that section uh, that one little scene in Rocky where Apollo Creed's uh, trainer is looking at Apollo Creed who had been just playing around in this fight and he says Apollo he thinks it's a fight (laughs) Satan thinks it's a fight he thinks it's a deadly fight. He's out to, to take you out, you understand. There's a real enemy and you're in a real war. This equips you. This is your equipment that enables you to become more and more like God himself. Well, finally, if it's not for the Lord Jesus Christ... No words in the Old Testament or New Testament would have any meaning whatsoever. There would be no hope or comfort or any benefit for us at all. We would be cut off, lost in our sins forever, shut 
off from God forever. The word would be like this glorious castle on the edge of the sea, strong and firm, a place of safety and well-being. But we would be on a plank just drifting away from it if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who fulfilled this word. He, in fact, uh, in the theology of the Bible, is the one who is the, he's the only perfect one who has done all of these things described. He's the perfect righteous man. And he's obeyed the law for us so that we, as we hide in him, will not be condemned in our struggle to obey the word. But we can live in the favor of God because Christ has accomplished that for us. And he has borne the wrath for all of our disobedience to the word. So we can strike out in fellowship with God, motivated by the love and forgiveness of God as we seek to obey his word. Because of what Christ did. Otherwise, the word is that course, just leaving us further and further behind and causing more and more judgment to fall on us. And he also enables us to obey that word as he is the one who by the spirit we learn in the New Testament obeyed God even in offering himself on the cross. So he pours that spirit upon us that we might obey the word In the power of that spirit. And so Christ in fulfilling the word. Causes Paul to say in 2 Corinthians 1. As many as may be the promises of God. In Jesus they are yes. In other words he's God's guarantee. For all the promises. Why will every promise come true? He's the still structure that holds up the promises of God. He's the one that in his death we see, you really mean every promise you make. You really are committed to our good. We see it in Christ Jesus. And there is no message, no good news apart from Christ. Every part of the Old Testament leads up to Christ. The whole New Testament describes what Christ has done. And so there is no encouragement, no gospel There is no promise except that it is in Christ Jesus. And you could say in a sense, and this is the way I like to think of the Bible, that every page is stained in the blood of Jesus. Every single page. The whole, all these promises could only be gotten for you because Jesus died on the cross. That's how precious this word is. This word was accomplished and bought for you. And and its comfort and encouragement and strength and beauties are all made possible because of the shed blood of Jesus. And so really, in every page, there is that blood-stained cross. You can imagine a, a child who gets a letter at age 18, on age 12, and he's given it by his dad. And he said, your mother wanted you to have this as she was dying from rescuing you in, from the fire. And there written out are these words from his mother of 
what she wants for him, how she loves him. All with a shaky hand because her hands had been burned and her whole body ended up dying. I have one letter myself. dates back to the early 70s. It is a treasure. It too is written in an unsteady hand. An unexperienced hand, really, at writing. It only goes for one page. But it's the first letter I ever got from my brother written with his left hand. I was called home in the summer of 1972 because he was in a boating accident. His hand was above his head and the propeller hit it three times. The next day he contracted gangrene. They had to remove the muscle on top of his arm. First time I've ever seen my daddy cry. Because as a doctor he knew what that would mean to him for the rest of his life. So I was with him in the hospital in Birmingham when they put a flap of skin and tissue on his arm and it stayed there for three or four days until it got enough blood supply and that's what's on his arm now. It's a part of his stomach. I stayed with him for a whole week during those surgeries and then several months later I was back at school and I received this letter written with his left hand. What a precious letter. This letter was written the blood of Jesus. How precious it is. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us yourself in giving us this word. You have purchased our acceptance with God. You've purchased our favor with God. And now we can come under God's care We can come under his protection by coming under his word, which proclaims to us how to live out his love in this world. Oh, Lord, as you yourself said that by obeying the commandments, we abide in your love. Like abiding in the care of a doctor who loves us by following his prescriptions. Oh Lord, we abide in your loving, tender care by acknowledging your goodness and giving ourselves up to your word. To your promises, to your commands, to everything that is there. Oh Lord, bless us. We cannot generate a desire We cannot suddenly just push a button and suddenly love your word. And Lord, even as we will try to get into your word, it will be hard and we will fail and we will struggle and we'll feel like giving up. Lord, we pray, give us new, fresh grace. Enable us to fulfill what you said, that you will cause us to walk in your commandments In this new covenant, we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.